Hey everyone, welcome to episode 15 of my podcast, Is Breakfast Included? Now today's pretty exciting for me. I got to talk with a true rock and roll legend. He's played with Ozzy Osbourne, Quiet Riot, White Snake, and Ronnie James Dio. You can catch him out right now on the road with the Guess Who. That's right, I'm talking about Rudy Sarzo. Rudy and I had a great conversation. He told me about his humble beginnings and how he made his way out to L.A. to start what turned out to be a legendary career. I'm going to let him tell you all about it. Let's check it out. Tell me who you are. Who, who, who am I? Boy, that, that changes. That <laughs> 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 changes constantly. Uh, who am I? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not changes. It, it progresses. Yeah, we can start it's, with your uh, name. For, Everybody knows so who you Project, are. <laughs> yeah. My name is Rudy. <laughs> That's all we need to know. Uh, Rudy Sarzo. Okay. Also known as Rudy Sarzo. <laughs> That's, you know, I, who am I? Boy, That's you know, that, that used to be a question that I ask a lot of people, especially when I when I would do uh, the rock and roll fantasy camps, you know, as a, as a counselor. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it, it's, and I guess it would be uh, an unexpected topic for me rather to talk, to talk more about what I do mentoring than what I have done as a professional musician. But to me, it's all, it's all tied in, you know, yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all connected. Uh, whether I'm mentoring or, or, or performing, you know, in front, in front of an audience, you know, and I learned that from Randy Rhodes. I learned, uh, you know, Randy, people ask me, you know, about, about my memories of Randy. And, and the first thing that comes to mind is him being a teacher. And, and I know this because I taught at his mom's school, Musonia, right next to him. And he taught me how to teach. Because I had no idea. I have been doing it for well, God for for ages. Yeah, you know, uh, being around the the whole musical environment, uh, the academic environment, um, from his family. You know, his mom owning is a uh, the the uh, music school, Musonia, and all of that. So you know, so he understood about how to how to be a a proper student because you know when you're a kid let's say in school right regular school for me personally you know especially i i had two phases two uh one phase of the student myself was in cuba in my own native language and you know it's like you learn how to speak and then you go to school yeah right so you understand everything. I mean, almost, you know, you, at least you, you, you can communicate or the teacher can communicate with you in a language that you understand. And, and you learn more words when you're in school as, you're, as you're, you progress in school. So by the time that fifth grade came around, that was my last uh, grade in school in Cuba in my own language. Then... My family comes to the United States, you know, getting away from communist Cuba. And all of a sudden, I mean, my mom puts me back into fifth grade in the American school system, U.S. Mm -hmm. school system. 
because you figure, well, you know, it's a, it's a new language. It's going to have challenges. So at least maybe he can, didn't mean, mainly maybe I can reference what I already, what I already learned in Cuba. And, and then I know that I'd be able to make connections with. Okay, so I, you know, so let's say in the fifth grade in Cuba, I learned about this. So I'm learning again in the fifth grade in the United States about the same thing, but there's language barriers. So this will give me an opportunity to connect languages because I'm learning the same thing, but now I'm learning it in English, a language that I don't know anything about. Yeah. Really, really. I mean, it's like I'm completely foreign here. And uh, this is 16 years ago. Less Latinos in the United States, especially in Miami, right? Yeah. And then when we moved to New Jersey 60 years ago, you know, most most Latinos being Puerto Ricans, they lived in the Bronx. <laughs> there weren't that many living in Jersey, you know. <laughs> so they so that's why West New York came such a six, you know, over this over the years, over the decades, became a very you know uh, populated with Cubans. Through the really? years, but it's not the case 60 years ago, you know, when my, my family first moved to New Jersey. So, so learning has always been, I've always been aware of learning because I struggled with it once my family moved to the United States. So I've always been aware of like the importance of communication, being able to understand each other when we learn and when we are taught or when we teach. and. And so I, I am very, very aware of that. And I'm very grateful to be able to learn, which means that I'm constantly uh, rewiring my brain. And by rewiring my brain from learning, I, it changes my DNA. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm completely a different person yeah. every day. And, yeah. and so is everybody that that is on a learning pattern, yeah. you know, being really teachable, you know. And uh, so when you ask me that, it's like, hmm, that's really interesting. Uh, well, like we know, were just talking, like we still had to learn the technology to do this, you know. Oh, work, absolutely. You know, work. And, um, and, and that's today's technology. I know. A year from now, there's a whole different technology going on I that, know, we right? to, that we have to embrace. Yeah. As soon as you buy like an iPhone, the new iPhone is coming out. <laughs> You're being built. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but mostly iPhones, you know, anything, any of those devices is based on software. So, you know, like um, um, what they um, um, what they do, because I've experienced this, uh, the software gets so advanced based on the on the uh, the the current technology that they happen to be in, and I'm talking about today's technology, ten years ago iPhone, and ten years from now iPhone, yeah, it's going to change. Which means that the chips that they manufacture at a, at a certain point, the operating system, it's not relatable. So you your phone becomes basically paperweight. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like, and, and we all have, have a few of it. those paperweights in the desk. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you have to get rid of it and and get the updated, the new phone that actually uh, the new operating system works is designed for that yeah. chip. Yeah. Well, um, let me ask you something. We're going to take it a little bit less technical. When did you start playing bass? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> that's another question because my, my playing bass really evolves uh, right now. <laughs> uh, 
I started out as a guitar player, not 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 a good one, because I'm talking 60 years ago. And when I say a good one, I mean not not an educated guitar player. I was not educated. My family could not afford uh, to give my brother Robert and me guitar lessons because we were Cuban refugees. So you know we were just barely you know making a living so we could pay the bills, and uh, and and there was no. Uh, social uh, media, you know, the net social network like YouTube or anything like that, where people teach, including myself. As a matter of fact, I I, I have lessons available on an app called uh, Go Dash DPS Music Live. It's a free app, and it has a lot of uh, concerts. And but my lessons can be found there. So okay. if anybody says, "Where can I get lessons from Rudy?" or just go for free. Go go you know go DPS. Go dash DPS music live app on um, on your whatever Android iPhone. But anyways, um, so uh, and actually, if if you start watching watching the first you know from lesson one on, I, I start playing. It, it's it's a it's a six string bass, which is basically a bass guitar. You know, the standard bass guitar, as you know, being a a uh, you know a tech mm-hmm. and uh, a bass tech. Especially, <laughs> it's it's basically it's it's the first, you know, it's the the E A D and G off the guitar, but just just those four strings in a in a in a larger gauge, mm-hmm. in a bass gauge, right? So what I do is I I have a PV series, and I know you're very familiar with the series bases. <laughs> we'll talk about it that works. a bit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I have a, a serious bass that, that I six string bass serious that I got a long time ago, and I just I just string it as a uh, as a guitar, not as a six six string bass would be. With traditionally it starts goes from B low B to high C. Yeah. And what I do is I just go the traditional uh, tuning of the guitar, and. Uh, you know, I actually I have a, a set of strings, the 105 to the four up to the 45, and then the next, the other two is a uh, a 30, 38, and and 20, 28 strings. Okay. You know, case gauge, and and to me that makes more sense. <laughs> it's more melodic. I'm more I'm more creative on that instrument because it's a guitar tuning. But so I can uh, I can I can I can play guitar. Uh, I don't know I, theory. <laughs> I guess on it, you know, yeah. I can play like a guitar and uh, not be bound, not be bound to have to like be moving around so much in the neck to 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 reach notes. It's you know, more familiar interval. with you. Yeah. yeah, even though I I am not a guitar player because if you had me a guitar. I'm so used to playing the bass with the, with the uh, with the string spacing. Yeah. Then when you give me a guitarist, you might as well give me a ukulele. I have no, <laughs> I can't play it. You know, I can't play it as with as much uh, de- you know de- dexterity and definition as I can a bass. So you give lessons on this. Uh, what is it? Go dash. Yeah. Go. Yeah. There's there's a little. Uh, line like like a dash mm-hmm. like a geo and then a dash you know like a and then dps okay music 
life. And yeah, it's, it's, no, actually, I have lessons. It, I, I don't get personal lessons. It's, it's lessons that I have uploaded. That you've recorded and then you've uploaded to watch. Correct. Okay. So people can, you know. And, and I wanted to offer something different. So it's actually called Breakfast with Rudy. Okay. That's, that's what I do for breakfast. Is <laughs> play bass. I play bass. Right on. Yeah, I, I get up. I have my coffee, and with CBD in it, I am um, I, uh, which has really made an incredible difference for my for my focus and and retaining information. My uh, my nephew has a company called LifePack Organics, and they have non THC CBD. Yeah, I'm a big believer and, in in CBD myself. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a it's powder. Uh, one of the products is powder form. And I pour it in my coffee, activates it a little bit with the heat of the coffee, and I drink it. And it just within five minutes, I'm I'm awake. It gets me out of that that fog in the morning. And I um, I, I watch about five minutes of the local news to make sure, you know, we're not in the apocalypse yet. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and then once, <laughs> and, yeah, once I'm once I'm certain. <laughs> can I, I can i can i i pick up the base and i go to youtube and i'm gone i'm Hang exploring on. exploring new and the more i explore the more the more actually i can actually access information and make make things connect beautifully exact make them connect exactly the way that i hear it in my head mm-hmm. which is which is my my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is to anything I hear to to connect the physicality of the instrument with the with the consciousness, with my consciousness. Yeah. Well, right on, man. Well, once you started playing bass, um, who were your uh, who were your heroes musically? Like, who did you who oh, did you want to emulate? You know, or not so much well, as emulate, yeah. but you know, like who did you respect and listen to yeah. for inspiration yeah uh everybody <laughs> <laughs> i mean go on you know and, and I, I started playing in the uh and and i i started listening and then trying to emulate trying trying because i just didn't have the resources or the and mentorship that would say no you're not doing it you know you're you're, you're doing it wrong it's like this you know which is a one-on-one mm-hmm. that's something you can really get I mean, you can get it just from observing how it's done, but I used to get more, most of my 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 information for to going into uh, to live shows when I was a kid in Miami. Uh, that was my best school at the time, you know. I mean, yeah. because I, I that's that's you know, rock and roll. There was no rock schools or rock camps back in the '60s and even '70s. This is something new, and. Uh, so my musical education, as far as rock and roll goes, was was just about going to see the pros do it. The people that I heard on the radio, they would come on tour, um, and 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 I go and watch them. Yeah. So it was like you know, <laughs> it was like from John N. Whistle with the Who. I said I seen the Who. I seen Queen. I you know everybody. You name it. Yeah. Chris Squire. You know yes. And so it would be kind of like. 
I witnessed that when I went on tour, you know, um, for the Slip of the Tongue tour for White Snake. We had Steve Vai, and 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 I got it. I got it because uh, the, uh, on Steve's side of the stage, it was just guys, you know, with notepads <laughs> taking yeah. notes. You know, because you know, this is 1990. Now it will be iPhone, you know, yeah. video, whatever he's playing. But they were, and 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 again to another degree. Because by 90, there were more of the music, you know, rock and roll shredder schools, right? Yeah. When I went on, when I went on tour with Randy, there was only in areas like, let's say, Boston, where with Berkeley, there would be students showing, you know, guitar students showing up to our, to actually to waiting for Randy backstage. To and ask him questions. Yes, yeah, waiting for him during sound check. And Randy will always, you know, of course, you know, he will stop and talk to them. And, you know, and and going back to, to learning it being learning how to teach from Randy. If you look at any photos of Randy Rhodes on stage, it's very clear what he's playing. There's a lot of clarity in his the way he holds the guitar. It's, it's like he's teaching the the first few rows what he's doing uh-huh you know he was not one of those guys to turn around and hide his technique no not at all it was a lot of clarity and display you know and um so going back to the uh what we're talking about oh yeah the I was I just every time I talk about Randy I just I, I lose myself because I go there. <laughs> oh no it's fine. We we were talking about your influences yeah yeah the influences so uh so i'm uh so yeah i had i have one-on-one influences by going to shows you know mm-hmm. of, uh, of my heroes so i would say just just about everybody i, I i've learned from so many people you know i'm, I'm basically i'm kind of like a big big paella or jambalaya <laughs> of uh, musical influences and you know people that that i that i learned from you know that i actually yeah inspired me and still do today but mm-hmm. but I gotta tell you something, you know, and I and I'm gonna say this for 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 the younger guys. There's gotta be a time in your career or your your journey, your journey, musical journey, that you have to cut the cord. You gotta cut the cord, and and once you feel like you have enough information, and you know this that you have enough information and enough sources, uh, musical information of what how things work uh theoretically to your style and to your own musical destiny that you have to stop recreating what somebody else has um created mm-hmm. and make your own creations and 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 I'm talking about the big picture your own creation the creation not only music uh, stylistically musically uh, your own image. Don't try to be anybody else. Just, just be, be yourself. You know, really find out who you are. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Um, your journey. Speaking of journeys, your journey started out on um, a friend of yours' living room couch, and just completely changed overnight at the recommendation of Randy Rhodes. Um, oh, you. No, no, actually, well, actually, my, my journey started way before that. 
Okay. It's, uh, it's your journey. You have to prepare yourself. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my journey really started when I saw the Beatles performing on Ed Sullivan. I think everybody from my generation, that's, that's the pivot. Yeah, yeah. You're right. That that, that yeah. started and it's always either the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or Kiss, depending on which generation you came from. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but okay, this is this is what happened. Uh-huh. Uh and I'm gonna give you my perception. Of course, everybody has a different perception, but but th- th- this is mine. This is why I exp- what I experienced. See, my my generation's uh evolution. Uh, and I'm talking about, you know, guys who are, you know, rockers that are of my age, mm-hmm. you know, for anybody from 60 to 70 years old, you know, that was that was alive and and might be young, but still was uh, you perceive a certain a certain event. And, it, I, and I, I'll go as far as saying cosmic event because it was so big. To see the Beatles playing on Ed Sullivan in 1964 was not just musical, a musical revolution that created the British music, British invasion. It was cultural. It was social. They were coincided with civil rights, everything, the whole movement of the 60s, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was it, 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 it was a social, social cultural event, not just musical, right? And, and you could go, it, it was actually the, the band, and when I say 64, the Beatles, because that was just the Beatles getting into the industry, making a shift. And, and they were the ones who brought in certain elements that, that resonate more today than it, they, it even did in the 60s. And I'm talking about spirituality. They were the first ones, really, and it was. I will have to hand it over to uh, Josh Harrison for that one. Yeah, you know, to start bringing the elements of spirituality on a consciousness level, like the planet up until that time in history, especially with technology, mass mass consciousness. Because now, now you have radio, now you have records, now you have television. Yeah. So it's it was like the beginnings of ma- of uh, not only mass communication but social networking, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, but it, but it was one sided. It was like the Beatles delivering a message, and then all the bands ca- ca- either gravitating towards that message, creating a massive consciousness, making music. It was like, you know, let's say if if in the inner circle of the Beatles you got you know Mick Jagger, you have the Rolling Stones, you have you have a uh, uh, Beach Boys in there, Mike Love. You know, and I'm talking about the trip that they made to India with mm-hmm. the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, and there was this massive consciousness going on. I believe Donovan was there. Um, there was all these musicians that it wasn't just the Beatles singing spiritual music. It was it was everybody that was there. I, the Beach Boys became more spiritual, you know, in their in their lyrics. Uh, it, it and then so it's not just a movement of one; it's a movement of many, you know that that transcends. And uh, and and then George, when he went, when he went solo, he took it to a whole different level. If you listen to the spirituality on all things must pass as an album, it's it's tremendous, yeah, tremendous influence, you know that influence. You know, so we're, you know, we're talking about musicians that were influenced by Bob Dylan. And I think what Bob Dylan did 
is it's it gave them the Beatles and the whole, that whole generation a hall pass to say, hey, you know, you don't have to be singing about teen teenage themes for the rest of your career. You can you can you can mature as personally and musically and carry that message uh-huh. to the masses, you know. Right on, man. That's a little deep, Rudy. <laughs> well, we're just getting started. It <laughs> might be a little. It will be. It might be very deep by the end. <laughs> good, good, <laughs> good. Like, I, I, like, I expect nothing less. You know, it, it's it's like digging a wormhole. Yeah. Once you get in, you know, enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah. So your journey started with the Beatles. Yeah. Watching the Beatles on Ed really Sullivan. Did. It really did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, th- and then you made your way from, uh, once you started playing, you made your way from Miami to, or sorry, Florida uh, to yeah. LA. I'm not sure. Miami. Was it Miami? You said? Well, I was living in Miami by, well, actually, w- w- when I saw the Beatles in 1964, my family was living in New Jersey at the time. And then, okay. then by 67, we moved back down to Miami. And that's where I, um, which was great because, you know, that's when I really started getting serious about, about playing music and got my first bass, you know, professional bass, uh, Fender Jazz, 67 Fender mm-hmm. Jazz, and started playing in bands around town. Uh, there were a lot of gigs. So I was playing basically every night by the time I, I was uh, in college. And, uh, and then, you know, uh, my brother and I really, really knew, we realized that if we stayed in Florida, in Miami, there was, there was no music scene as far as, you know, get a record industry. Uh, there were a lot of studios, Criteria being one of them, where the major, you know, the albums that influenced us were being recorded right down the street, but there was no music, there was no record label. They were just sent down you know, from from uh, from the headquarters in New York or L.A. to come down to record, you know, especially Atlantic Records artists at yeah, Criteria. And it was like, OK, we got to, you know, my brother and I say, well, we got to get out of here if we don't want to be become a top 40 musician for the rest of our lives. If yeah. We want to actually make our own music. We got to get out of here. So so we did. We traveled up to Utica, New York. My brother got married, settled down in Jersey. And I continue with my journey uh, traveling towards LA. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a, it's a long story, but finally I got here and stay here. Mm-hmm. I left a couple of times because I kept running out of money. It's very yeah. expensive to live here, it's, yeah. you know? And so making a living out of being a musician was pretty tough. So I, I, I knew that what I really, you know, wanted to do was actually make music. So I would like, I, I went back to Jersey, with my brother, I played there for a little while with him and the and his my sister-in-law, and and then I got enough money to return to LA in 1978, and uh, I stay. I've been here, and that and that and that's when I joined the Randy Rose version of Quiet Riot. Yeah, which 78. Was, yeah. And yeah. how long did that version of Quiet Riot uh, exist before Randy left? Yeah, yeah, I joined in the. Late summer of 78, our first gig was 
uh, October 6th. So, yeah, so I was at October 4th or 5 and 6th at the Star Wars. So I was in the band for over a year, maybe a year and a half, until Randy joined uh, Ozzy. And then that, you know, that broke up the band. And uh, there was there was a version of the band or 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 a branch that was uh, Dubro, mm-hmm. Dubro, and um, I would play uh, especially towards the end when I moved into Kevin's spare bedroom. I slept on the floor, not on the couch, okay. <laughs> <laughs> on the floor on shag carpeting. So it wasn't too bad. It was yeah. at least it wasn't hardwood floors and a sheet and. Um, and I got the call uh, to audition for Ozzy. You know, thanks thanks to Randy Rhodes who recommended me. Yeah. yeah. In your book, in your book, I like the way you describe how the way it started out very, uh, very humbling for you. It was very humbling, but at the same time, everything moved so fast for you. How did you? How did you um, relate to that? Well, I mean, you know, that was my first time being in a uh, in a world class touring, not just class, but in the world, you know, in a in. I went from from like being nothing, nowhere, nobody, to all of a sudden playing with with Ozzy. Yeah, and I'm going at that speed, which is Ozzy <laughs> speed. Like, yeah, <laughs> at the speed a, of Ozzy. Know, yeah, hyper hyper speed here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know, I just I just buckle up, and 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 be aware, open my eyes and ears, and absorb as much as I could, you know, to yeah. learn, to learn again. Huge learning learning curve right there. But just like you know, coming to the United States without knowing the language, I did not know the language of of that level of of uh, you know of of professional musicians. So and you just adapted along the way. I learned, yeah. I, and fortunately, I had Randy to teach me again. You know, yeah, because he had already done it with Ozzy in England. You know, he he already been on, on the road with him. Uh, the Blizzard of Oz did a uh, did a tour of, of the UK at least, and and maybe some shows in Europe. I don't know exactly because I wasn't there, mm-hmm. but uh, but definitely they they went on the road. You know, between mm-hmm. the recordings of Blizzard of Oz and Diary of the Madman. And did uh did the success that you experienced with uh with Ozzy while you were with the Blizzard of Oz band did that pre- prepare you excuse me did that prepare you for the success of the Metal Health era of Quiet Riot as you guys just blew up? Yeah, and and it did prepare me because, like I mentioned, you know, I I learned a lot. I would say ninety percent of what I know about the music industry I learned from watching Sharon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sharon, you know, later uh, Osborne, but at the time she was Sharon Arden, uh, Don Arden's daughter, mm-hmm. and she was managing the band. She was she was she wasn't yet married to Ozzy. They got married in 1982, Ju- July 4th, 1982, in Maui. Yeah. You know, and uh, but before that, I you know she was just working, work, working with the band, working for the band. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic when, when, you know, when I use the term working for, because management in, 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 in theory work for the artist, but when, when your company, let's say Jet Records is management and is the label and is the publisher, 
it's hard to fire a manager that actually runs every everything else about about your career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And were you able to but, um with that success, with with you learning from Sharon and and the ins and outs of of touring with Ozzy, were you able to share any of that or kind of be a mentor to like Frankie or Carlos or Kevin once Metal Health or once Quiet Riot started rising in fame? Were you able to like help them prepare for all that? Because you had already experienced it with, with Ozzy. Yeah. And, and to some degree, Frankie had already been on the road with, with big bands. I mean, not, not his own band because Quiet Riot was, you know, we were all, you know, equally members mm-hmm. of the group. It wasn't like we were hired guns by anybody, you know. And uh, so, but uh, but Frankie's just like my experience had been in somebody else's band up until then, and which is a whole different dynamic of being in a band. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons, of course. You know, and. Uh, so, so Frankie, I would say not as much as Kevin, uh, you know, but <laughs> it's a band and I, you know, and, and I, which, which is, for example, let's say if, if you, if you were, you know, if you're in Ozzy's band, you know, it's Ozzy, Ozzy is responsible for all the, all the decisions, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and also management, who in this case will be Sharon, you know. Who happens to be his wife, you know? And but if you when you're in a band, it's just four guys or five guys in a room, you know, trying trying to make sense of things, you know, and and take the band in certain directions. And sometimes people leave because they're not they're not in sync with with the same consciousness yeah. of the band as a whole, you know. You know, so I mean, I I could ask you the same question because you've been there, but. Yeah. But uh, you know, but but since well, you're asking me, uh, and maybe that uh, maybe the listener doesn't realize that you relate to that because you work with bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, I spoke to someone a few weeks ago, and they explained it like this: the two hours on stage are amazing. <laughs> it's the other twenty-two hours in the day of dealing with these people, or or being able to communicate with everyone. You know, and that's that's where the yeah. that's where the problems come in. Yeah, and, and to me that's that's the best opportunity to learn yeah. about life and humanity, you know. Uh because when you're on stage you're just recreating. Either you were part of the uh creative process in the studio, so you're creating recreating your own creation or you're recreating somebody else's creation. Yeah. So you're just recreating. And and the even the audience is recreating. The audience is recreating their 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 great their best memories in life through your music because they might come and listen to a certain song that takes them to high school to the prom or or a beautiful summer where they met their significant other you know things like that so they're recreating in their mind the past yeah yeah you're you're recreating you're recreating on stage the past yeah yeah you know and but but what you're gonna get the most out of life is that experience when you get off of the stage and you got to real with deal with the now yeah the reality <laughs> the reality <laughs> and or or your own reality because yeah. we all make we all create our own realities 
by making choices every day, every moment, every thought is a choice that we choose to think or stick with or keep yeah. thinking <laughs> or take action. <laughs> well, one one of the things I, I've always, uh, you know, we've only met once. We met for a few <laughs> minutes a few years ago. Um, so I don't want people to think like we're buddies and we hang out. But one of the things I've, I've always been a fan of yours, one of the things I've always respected about you is when I read interviews or listen to interviews you've you've done you you never speak ill of anyone so you were part of quiet riot for mental health and then the follow-up condition critical and then you left and the reasons why you left are solely your reasons you don't have to talk about that but did you did you sense a sigh like uh some relief when you left the band like Whatever, whatever made you leave was was there some relief and and also kind of like fear of the unknown now that you were leaving <laughs> one of the most successful bands in the world. Well, see, I already done that with Ozzy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I had left one of the most successful bands in the world, so the complete unknown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and in a way. I'll even go back further. Okay, when I when I was sleeping on the floor, and I got the call to join, uh, I mean to audition for Ozzy, uh-huh. I turned it down the first time because my my known, not the unknown, but my known was the fact that I was playing in Angel, a band that I yeah that I really liked, and I admired, you know, and all of that, right? So that was my first like, wow. Okay, I'm playing in a band called Angel that I that I really dig. And I dig all the guys and the music and everything. But we don't have a record deal. The band had just gotten dropped by Casablanca. And they were in search of a record deal. So that's why I was in a recording band with no record deal sleeping on the floor. Because there was no money. It was no budget mm-hmm. to give me any money, you know. And okay, but but that was my known. I want this. I want. I, I want what Angel gives me because I know what this is, right? Mm-hmm. So I get a call for Ozzy, and I turn it down. And you know, actually, well, I, this is what happened. I turn it down, and Kevin said, you know, because he answered the phone, "Who was that?" I go, "Oh, that's uh, Sharon. She's Ozzy's manager. She has offered me an audition, and I turn it down because blah 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 blah." And he starts yelling at. <laughs> how crazy I was to turn down you know that opportunity and also the fact that I would get to play with Randy again and I go oh my god whoa, whoa, you know whatever so I just it all becomes clear it. for a second <laughs> yeah exactly which is one thing that, that I've learned what to do and this is just a side note I, I don't make decisions like that immediate decisions mm-hmm. you know like gut decisions anymore because I've made a few that were pretty pretty bad, but turned out to be okay because I got a second chance, but only because I got a second chance. Yeah. Okay, this one being one of them, the Ozzy. So the next day, Ozzy calls me, and he says, listen, you know, we haven't found the guy that we're looking for, and Randy keeps saying that you're the guy. And by then, I say, yes, of course, I'll come down on audition. So I met him that night. Randy comes over and picks me up, and we go to a, to a local restaurant, and Sharon was there, and Tommy Aldridge was there, and Ozzy tell, tells me, man, all I want you to do is just be able to play the songs, you know? So basically, I had the gig. All I had to do was 
play the songs. Yeah. Learning. So the next morning, Randy comes over early before my audition and teaches me the song. Now, remember, me playing Out of Knowing Crazy Train. Now, 60 years later, there's 10, you know, there's thousands of 10-year-olds that can play that song, right? Yeah. See, you know, 40 years ago, 40 years ago, when this happened, even to the day, you know, 40 years ago, I didn't even have the record. The song was not played on the radio yet, you know, so because the band had just were about to begin the tour to promote the record. So Randy had to come over, play me the song, teach it to me, and then I had to retain that information quickly and then go on stage and play that with Ozzy and Tommy Aldridge. <laughs> and of course, Randy, too, an audition for, for the gig of, you know, of a lifetime, right? Yeah. So all of these come into place, you just do it, you know. And and so I I got the gig, you know, and uh, so it, it's just I've learned not to turn anything down until I give it a lot of thought. Yeah. yeah. So after um after you left Quiet Riot, you formed a band with with Tommy Aldridge from the Blizzard of Oz band, and is that what led to the two of you being asked to join White Snake? Mm, yes and no. Okay. And this and this is why. <clears throat> um, in 1984, White Snake was the support band for Quiet Riot Condition Critical Tour, which is where I I got to meet David and all the other guys in the band. Also, I got to be exposed to the inner conflicts within the group mm -hmm. and so you know I, I i did not experience it i just listened to everybody's perception of what was going on right yeah. but when there's so many different perceptions polarized perceptions you detect that there is uh not musically because musically they were spot on every night but socially there was something going on, which I was experiencing in my own band, too. So I actually, I gave Quiet Riot the notice that I was going to leave the band before we started the tour, Condition Critical. So on the last night of the tour, we threw a, a party for Whitesnake, mm -hmm. thanking them for being on tour with us. And as we are saying our goodbyes, David gives me a hug and whispers in my ear, we're going to be playing soon together. <laughs> so I figure, well, somebody in the band must have told him that I was leaving, you know. And so I officially leave the band after the tour. And I get, and then Tommy and I start working on, on, you know, on putting our band together. And we get a call from management, Whitesnake management, to come and meet them. We do. And they offer us to join the band. And during the process of the offer, I find out that that uh, still, you know, there's uh, an individual that, that there's a, a very strong conflict going on with David. Mm -hmm. And I so when I learned that, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I, 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 you know, I just I'm, I just left the situation. I don't want to have to join another one. So I, I decline. I really decline. And. And uh, eventually, Tommy did too. 
So we we continued while <coughs> David and the in 1987 uh, band Whitesnake Band went in the studio to record uh, the 1987 records. And then during the process of that record, everybody was gone except for David. So when it comes time to to do the video for for Still of the Night, we get a, a phone call, Tommy and I, from John Kolatner to come and you know to perform on the video. And we thought, well, this this will be a really good opportunity to test the waters of what you know of what's going on with with White Snake. Uh, because we knew we, we knew that you know David was leaning towards towards asking us to join the band. Yeah, and at that time because he had no band, you know, and um, so we go in and we see Adrian Vandenberg, who I knew casually, and Vivian Campbell, who I also knew casually, and everybody's in great spirits, and we make the video, and it's like okay, and then that's when they call us into officially. Uh, you know, management to ask us to join the band after we made the video because it, it turned out so well. You know, mm-hmm. there was a lot of great chemistry. Always has been with all the members of White Snake. Wonderful chemistry that I've experienced with them. And uh, and so we, uh, you know, so yeah, we do it, and and the rest is history. Yeah, <laughs> we have fun. Yeah. We have fun. I mean, we still do when we get together as people, which is the most important thing, you know. Yeah. Because, you know, again, talking about you know the inner the the dynamics in the group, one one thing that makes it a little bit easier when you're in somebody else's band is that you find out that there's less friction because it's understood who makes the calls here, yeah. whose band it is, yeah. right? Yeah. When you have like like I did with Choir Riot, four guys have, who have an equal voice, that's when it gets a little loud because everybody's trying to make the point at yeah. the same time, yeah. you know, or, or, you know. So that is a tougher dynamic than to actually being in somebody else's band. Yeah. And you've experienced both. So that's, you know, you can speak. Oh, yeah. That. I am. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But you know what? You know what's really interesting? Uh, it all depends. In, in each case, it all depends where the individual's perception happens to be at that time. Um, at my age right now, I wish I had the the the, the maturity. I want to say maturity because wisdom comes with age. Yeah, you, you cannot be a you know if if even if you're a very wise child. Well. By the time you're 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 a grown up, you're gonna be be even wiser, yeah. you know. So this is something that only happens through through maturity, whether it's musical or whether it's human maturity. I wish I had the maturity that I or the wisdom that I had. Um, let's say I left the band in yeah, almost like thirty five years ago when I left originally left Quiet Riot. Even though, even though having said that, I got to tell you that when I, when we reunited in 97, I, my, my purpose for, for going back with Quiet Riot, with the guys, with all the original mental health band members, (coughs) was to get closure. 
mm-hmm. because it 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 uh it it lingered the thought of what if I would have stayed in 1985 and not leave the band? What would have happened to you know to Quiet Riot? Because it, it really there was a major decline. Uh, subsequent records you know mm-hmm. as far as popularity record sales and, and ticket sales and eventually the band broke up in 80, 88 you know uh they they had a different singer paul shirtino come in in, in 87 to record with them and yeah. and after that tour I, I the band really broke up <clears throat> and they didn't didn't get back together again officially i mean kevin and frankie got uh, Kevin had his own band with a different drummer, uh, and then and then Frankie joined, and then Carlos came in, and yeah. you know things like that. And then officially in '97 we uh, we reunited, yeah. and then in '97 you know we toured together into 2003, and I stayed there, and there were certain things that again surfaced, came to the surface, especially towards the end. That led me to leave the band in '84, but I did not leave this time. I needed, I had to get closure. Mm-hmm. Did and you get that band, closure? Oh yeah, the <laughs> band imploded. The same, the same problem that arose in 1984, '85, uh, reared its ugly head around 2000, 2001, 2002. Mm-hmm. Then in 2003. The band just imploded, right? We cannot continue. It wasn't because I left the band. It was because we cannot we mm-hmm. cannot continue as a band anymore. And then I got my closure, yeah. having to do with that, having not I not my closure about the band Choir Riot, but my closure about playing with the the each individual in that in that situation. I, I got my closure regarding the 22 hours, not the not the, the one hour, whatever, one hour and a half, 22 hours and a half yeah. off stage, one hour and a half on stage. That that one that one still, it, it's 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 like a separate entity. Yeah. You know, it, it's really a family when you're on stage, and then it's a functional family on stage. Yeah. Then it's it's a dysfunctional family off stage. <laughs> you know so but but so i i got closer about that yeah um uh, then i as i as i you know life moves on i only carry with me the great wonderful memories because there were so many yeah if i'm gonna if, and i like to travel light i um when i tour nowadays i fly i do flyaways i never check in anything everything is a carry-on I, I learned how to how to travel light. Everything that I need, it's in that little bag. Yeah. Um. If we go back, if there wasn't the Quiet Riot, there wasn't the Aussie or the White Snake or the Dio. Um. If you go back to your younger days, did you ever want to do anything else other than play music? Was there ever anything else in your mind that you thought about? Well, I actually got my education in college in mass communication because uh, this is pre myself thinking about leaving Miami 
to pursue a career in in the music industry, mm-hmm. you know, recording industry. So uh, prior to that, I I thought if I get a really good education on uh, about you know mass communication, which cover radio and television and motion picture, then I have more opportunities you know, to maybe, uh, you know, plan B, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, but there was really, <laughs> there was really no plan B in Miami for me because again, you know, radio, even though I still retain a Cuban accent, uh, uh back in the seventies, I wasn't Cuban enough for the real type of Cuban <laughs> radio that yeah. they had back then, Yeah, you know, and that always the case. And, with any of the Latinos, <laughs> isn't that always the case? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. So, so here I am. You know, I wasn't Cuban enough for Cuban radio, and then I had too much of an accent for FM radio, uh, you know, Anglo radio for yeah. rock radio. And so, okay, so that's out. And then television. I there wasn't much television production going on in Miami at the time. It was just basically Ivan Tours. It's a it's a uh, it's a producer, Ivan Tours Production. He did a, a show called Flipper, and he did a show called Everglades, and maybe Gentle Band. Gentle Band. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, now what 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 he was known for was that he had the biggest uh, water tank. Uh, production facility for film and television in the world so as a matter of fact the thunderball james bond movie uh water uh fight scenes were filmed in this this huge water tank uh-huh. and so i i went into to do an internship and they asked me so do you scuba and i go no i wouldn't even swim and they go oh, i'm sorry <laughs> A big part of this job is you going in that tank and cleaning it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, there goes my opportunity to get into the television industry in uh, in the seventies in Miami, you know. Yeah. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I didn't. So what happened is, in, right in that mo, in that time, I got my first uh, opportunity to leave Miami to go tour with a rock band. Mm-hmm a rock band outside of Florida. So we actually started touring in Michigan, you know, so like, so that was the end of pursuing that. And I said, yeah, I think, I, I think there's, there's life out in, in, in music outside of Miami. Yeah. Just I think you're going to stick that, with the plan that. A. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I stuck with the plan A. Yeah. But what happened was that my education in mass communication really helped me which about just about everything that I've done in music, like for example, radio. I have my own radio show now, Six Degrees of Sarsone, Monsters of Rock Radio, and that that really helped me, you know, to really. It's it, it, I put it this way: I was not going into unknown territory. I learned, I you know, I learned how to be a DJ. I learned how to talk. I learned how to produce shows and things like that. So, <clears throat> so that education came back to really help me out, yeah. you know. And uh, and with television, I learned so much about being in front of the camera, behind the camera, and the lighting, and and the importance of it. Uh, that when once I started making making videos, it was like, oh, I know how to do this. Yeah. So I, I felt incredibly comfortable with it, you know. And and lighting, you know, where to stand in the right spot on stage, as you know, you know, it's all. 
everything it's all, is yeah. it's all about the mark you know, <laughs> yeah 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 hit yeah. the mark you gotta hit the mark and why you know and the importance of it and uh so it's it's you know it's like my my mass communication uh, uh education really paid off as a matter of fact last year i got inducted into the uh my college hall of fame oh really yeah that's awesome yeah. so man. yeah i mean yeah. that that's that's just an important validation to it me is. because because you know it's 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 the 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 school that gave me the knowledge the education to be able to tackle uh any of the challenges especially technical ones entering a world that i i had no experience that's always i was able to quickly so easily be able to gravitate stores in and it, it, to gravitate in a way that it leaves a mark. You want to leave a mark. You 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 want to carve your notch into that stone. Yeah. You know, and without that education, I would I would have been like a deer in front of the headlights and going like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, make a video? What what is this about? <laughs> um, you you've touched a little bit about your Cuban roots and. Uh, I have to ask you this question. If you don't want to answer it, that that's great. Uh, being a Latino in the music industry, especially in the eighties, um, did you ever run into any resistance or anything like that? You know, to be honest with you, no. And I have to say this: this was my experience. Okay, so we have to go back to the to the Big Bang. 1964, mm -hmm. Beatles and Ed Sullivan. That's really the big bang as far as far as our universe goes. Yeah, you know, yeah. Okay, um, okay. So my family leaves Cuba, moves to Miami, and we were relocated to New Jersey because there was not enough jobs in Miami at the time, and there was a major influx of Cubans coming in on flights, regular flights, you know. And uh, to support, I mean, we're talking about no jobs, you know, no industry. So we go to New Jersey. And for the first time, I really experienced cultural uh, division, cultural divide mm -hmm. in, in urban, urban New Jersey, uh, West New York, let's say. I was living there, which meant, and I'm talking 1963. Which meant that there were Irish neighborhoods, Polish, Italians, Jewish, no Latinos. Really, that was not a Latino neighborhood yet. There is now. I would say most of West New York is it's Latin, you know, but not sixty years ago, right? Yeah. So I'm here, nineteen sixty-three. I'm in school, you know. I was an outcast. Actually, it was it was the first time that uh, I was I was actually named Rudy by my teacher in uh, in my in my school public public school number five, mm -hmm. and I had never heard the name Rudy before. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I go in my first day of school and I sit on my desk, way in the back of the class, and and I hear as I'm putting my books in the uh, in my, inside my desk, I hear my teacher going, "Rudy, Rudy, I, I don't know what he's talking about." So I just happened to lift my head because he kept yelling, "Rudy," and he goes, 
And he goes, yes, you. He points at me. And I go, Rudy? No. And he goes, and I go, no, Rudolfo. And he goes, no, from now on, you're Rudy. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, so, so this is 1963. And then Kennedy gets shot. And it's like, it's like, wow, this, 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 is, this is really bad. You know, everybody was in a, in a big funk, you know, gloom and doom, right? Mm-hmm. And, but in school, you know, we were isolated. The Italians hung out with each other. The Irish hang out with each other. The Polacks, you know, whatever, right? Okay, and you know, we like so. I'm 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 like really a loner and an outcast in school, and plus uh, the language barrier. Okay, so so you know, we got the holidays, gloom and doom again. You know, Kennedy just got shot, and then by February, after the holidays, February comes along. And this happens. The Beatles playing Ed Sullivan. And it's like, wow, something's going on. And my perception was, I see the Beatles, I see the girls going ape shit, and I go, I want that. <laughs> because, you know, I don't want to be invisible anymore. You know, and I think I got the key right here. This is it, right? <laughs> so the next day, I go to school, and all the kids, all of a sudden, were combing our hair forward not the pompadour anymore kind of like a you know like Twinkie Valley in the four seasons now we're in a whole different thing we're combing our hair forward so we look at each other and we point and you go oh you two kind of like we connect now yeah now all of a sudden it's like wait a minute we belong to a tribe that really did not exist 24 hours before that right yeah and all of a sudden, you know, because I got my guitar, my guitar you know, in 63, Christmas of 63, because my parents felt really bad for my brother and me because we were so, you know, depressed because of what was going on. Because, you know, it was it was like a, the country was mourning. So mm-hmm. my parents ordered a guitar, Spiegel catalog that arrives and I'm like playing with, you know, it, it, trying to imitate what's what I hear on the radio. And it was it was mostly country and, and folk music, rock and roll. You know, again, the British invasion was not in full force yet. And and so I knew, you know, maybe a couple of little things to play. And now all of a sudden, if you play rock, if you're into not only just the Beatles, but the Stones and the Kings and the Animals and Dave Collins, right? everybody that everybody that went through through uh, uh, the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. Now we are all talking to each other. It's not the Irish hanging with each other and the Italians anymore. It's the rockers. This is it. This is the beginning of something new. And then that's how I started to socialize with everybody. You know, so for me, being in a band, it's, it's, I, you know, I have never felt any, any racism in a band. Okay. In a band. I've never, I've never had. I've never had it. It's 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 if I felt any racism, it would be outside of any musical situation. Yeah, you know it's yeah and yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, you know I I felt some uh, being alienated, feeling different from mm-hmm. other people, but it was never any musical environment. Okay. Um, moving on. From 
the race question. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, hey, how did it make you feel this year to hear that Randy was being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Wow. Uh, it was a surprise. I think it was a surprise for everybody. It was, really. Uh, uh, a wonderful surprise. Wonderful because, you know, up until now, the uh, the uh, the Hall of Fame, I never really acknowledged anything basically that happened between in rock and roll <laughs> between <laughs> 1980 and 1990 or 92, whenever Nirvana, you know, showed up. Yeah. It was kind of like anything having to do with that. It's kind of like, mm, you guys did not really exist. <laughs> so, so just like historically, I can, I can, I, in my perception, I associate Randy with being, Maybe even that shift, that big bang, the 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 metal big bang, uh, that happened. Because as a matter of fact, if you and this is my bit, my perception, and this has nothing to do with the contribution or or musicality of of the two two people that I'm going to talk about, because I, I respect them equally, mm-hmm. just as high. Of course, I lean more towards Randy because I know Randy better than I know Eddie Van Halen because I never played with Eddie Van Halen and I just talked with him mostly at the TV booth. I don't remember, you know, and, uh, because he had, you know, his uh, these uh, his Wolf Gangs for TV and amplifiers and so on, you know. <clears throat> and but see, if you look at Eddie Van Halen, his he came in at a time where I would consider him the last guitar player of the 70s to get signed and really have success and put records out. Mm-hmm. After that came New Wave and Punk. So the Shredder, yeah, he was influencing a lot of future Shredders, but they didn't have a place to, to in the record industry, to display what Eddie had taught them or influenced them, right? Not until like later on in the 80s, right? So here comes Randy, who locally, lo- local, as a local musician in Los Angeles, he had a following. He had some uh, inspired certain musicians, but did not have that major impact in the consciousness like Eddie did until he moved over to England. And when I say moved is because, you know, he took everything with him. Yeah. <laughs> and he went over, he started playing with Ozzy. And one very important question that, that Randy asked Ozzy with a very important answer was, what do you want me to write? And Ozzy said, just be yourself. And that's when Randy started digging in deep into his his classical, not only love for classical music, but his training. Because you you can love his, I mean, I love jazz, but I can't I can't <laughs> go there taking a jazz record, you know. So so it was he was trained as a classical guitarist and musician and composer. So that's what he was able to bring that in, right? So here comes Randy bringing this this shift 
right? It's the reinvented Ozzy Osbourne reinvents it because he was not the same, the same Ozzy as he was in Black Sabbath. He's like a new, new Ozzy here, with new music, new guitar player, new band. Yeah, and he comes out, and Randy, all of a sudden, is a part of the new wave of British metal. Just like the Beatles were part of the new, new uh, the British invasion. Here you have not only Ozzy, you got Motorhead, you got Def Leppard, you got Saxon, you got Iron Maiden, and the list goes on and on. Yeah. You know of, the, of that musical influence that came out of uh, of England that um, that gave gave shredders, you know, guitar players that were into being guitar players, <laughs> you know, not just part of the band, but uh, being like a, like a showpiece yeah. of the group. A platform. You know? <laughs> yeah, a platform. It gave him the yin and yang, where where if you put Randy and Eddie Van Halen, you had the full circle. The yin and yang yeah. of, 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 of what became known as the 80s guitar playing, right? <clears throat> okay, so... If you're going to acknowledge or you're going to open the door in the Hall of Fame to start acknowledging that generation of music, what better place to start than by acknowledging Randy Rhodes? Yeah. I don't think there is a better place to start than Randy Rhodes, personally, in yeah, my opinion. Exactly. Exactly. So not only... Not only is Randy Rhodes being acknowledged, but it's also opening the door at the pace that the Hall of Fame decides to go with of also including bands that made their mark during during the 80s. It's opening up that door. I mean, who are actually, you know, who are of, of that ilk. Yeah. The Motley Crews and yeah, and so on. You know, I agree. You're pretty involved with the uh, OPCA Shelter Network Alliance on your social media. Is that uh, an organization that's near and dear to you? There, every single one of them is near and dear to me. More dear than near because I really, you know, I don't do any of the heavy lifting with any of these organizations. All I do is just create awareness. There's people who really devote their lives and passion to to uh, to animal, you know, shelters. Let's say Linda Blair, she left her acting career to just do what she loves, which is saving saving dogs, mainly pit bulls, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, see, that to me are, are the the real heroes of that. I'm just a guy, you know, just uh, passing sharing information that yeah. these these uh these pets are are available for adoption that's yeah. all i do you're using your platform to, to create awareness for it well not just mine just i think everybody has a platform to share yeah. that information yeah that's amazing man that's great i i noticed that once i started you know following you on social media and and, <clears throat> and i wanted to ask you about that i didn't want to forget to ask you about that um, there's a story you told me in the few minutes that we met a few years ago about the, uh, since we brought up the Cirrus base earlier. Um, do you remember that story? Yeah, of course. 
would you <laughs> would you mind telling the origin yeah. of the Cirrus bass? Because yeah. Yeah. I went back yeah. and told my boss, and he was blown away. He 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 thought it was a great. He was he he really enjoyed me my probably my distorted version of telling him what you told me. So, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's as a matter of fact, you. I'll 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 give you where the missing link is, and and there's proof of it. Okay, so here we go. Uh, <laughs> this deep, is deep breath, before, deep breath. Yeah, yeah, before before I joined Weissmake, I was at a music store. So I'll tell you which one it is exactly. It's called West LA Music in um, in, in Santa Monica. I don't know if you've ever been there. No. West LA Music. Okay, it's just it's kind of like a more like a mom and pop version of like Guitar Center. Back then, when you, you this is 1986, yeah, 86, when, when Guitar Center wasn't wasn't the you know the big chain store that it is now, because also Guitar Center was a, a mom and pop originally, you know, and so okay, so at West LA Music, I I'm I'm looking at a basses and and actually I'm checking out my own bass, my Washburn basses that they have been making for me, you know, the ones with the, with the stripes, you know, the weird body shape and all mm -hmm. that. So, yeah, this is 86. And this is about the time that the, I, this was the last time that I was checked my base, hanging on the wall, picked it up. And I go, well, I, I got to take my name off this because this, this, this is horrible. I can't even play this. <laughs> and it's just my own base. Right. So right next to it, right next to it, there is an Aria base. And I'm going like, oh, this, this is like the bass John Taylor plays. And I go like, yeah, let me check it out. Because, you know, hey, listen, I'm a bass player. I've been playing for a long time. And, and I can tell when I hear somebody play that there's certain roots and musical roots in them and a style. So I hear, you know, Duran Duran, I go, wow, the bass player's got some great R&B roots. Wow, let me check them out. You know, this is even before I saw the video. Uh, I had the the girls on film cassette when did that come out because whenever that came out i bought it and i i had it in my in my bunk and i will listen to it 81 but, i'm know, sorry 1981 sure. okay so it must have been with with ozzy okay and because you know i, I listen to a lot of different I, I, are you kidding me i will get off the stage and in the afternoons you know, get, get off the stage, go to sleep, wake up in the afternoon, uh, you know, check into the hotel, take a shower and go and get lunch. And I will bring my my Walkman because Walkmans had just been invented. Right. Mm -hmm. It was so I got my Walkman. I got my headphones on. Yes, I'm touring with Ozzy and I will listen either to Gino Vanelli, my Walker. I will listen to to Barry Manilow. Greatest hits. <laughs> nice. Nice. I needed to cleanse my palate. Yeah. Before I went in and you know and play metal, right? Okay. So so I will I will buy all these non-metal records, you know, stuff that I that I also liked, you know, with really cool bass playing. You know, uh Gino Vanelli always had great, great rhythm section with him. Oh, oh great musician. But anyways, then back to Duran Duran. So I, I I got that and I go, okay, this is great. I'm, I'm checking this out. You know, there's a lot of uh cool techniques, yeah. You know, Slapping and plunking and all that going on. Cool tone. Yeah. Cool, cool licks, riffs. Okay, great. And so, you know, Duran Duran, they keep 
they keep going. I keep going, you know, I move on to Quiet Riot. I got my success on MTV. They have their success. So it's like, okay. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm aware. I'm aware of what, of what John Taylor is doing. Okay. So I, I, I grabbed the bass, the, the aria, and I go, wow, I love this. This is really cool. And I, I can see how you can, you know, play certain uh, techniques that he does and have that sound, that tone mm-hmm. cut right through. Okay, it's it's a bass made for that, right? It's a bass made for John Taylor's technique that he uses with Duran Duran. It's a perfect match. And that, so I contact Arian and tell him that you know that I'm interested in playing their bass. So they send me a bass, and I started I started playing Aria basses. And so what happens is, when I started playing the Aria basses, I say, you know what? Uh, there's a certain tone that I want to get that's different from John's, but but still it's 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 in the same you know uh preempt uh family mm-hmm. and I, I saw so I had already established a relationship with Bill Bartol Bartolini during Washburn because my Washburn bases were outfitted with Bartolini pickups mm-hmm. and later on I befriended Alembic also. And so I, I was putting on my on my arias. This is even before I started playing with Whitesnake, Bartolini's and Alembic electronics, right? Because it was more suitable for what I was doing. Okay, so then comes in Whitesnake, and I started playing the basses, and the band gets you know gets really huge. The whole '87 tour that I did is me playing the aria basses with either Bartolini's. Or Olympic pickups. Mm-hmm. Okay, so PV asked me uh, hardly. Adrian Vandenberg and I we were went over uh, Hardly's house and we were having lunch, and he says, "Listen, what I really want to do is to establish PV as a uh, guitar brand, and I would like for you both to design me a a uh, signature model." So we both agreed, Adrian Vandenberg and myself. And I took a lot of what I really liked about the Aria into this into my base, the, the Sarsal model, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that I liked about Fender that I had been playing before that, right? So incorporate that into, into the Sarsal model. I start playing that. It gets great reviews. I got people like... Uh, Dean White and other great bass players playing it. Okay, so at White Snake ends. They end the run of my signature model, but then they come up with a series. Now, one thing that you have to take into consideration is that my my bass, the signature model, and the series are very familiar because they still retain some of that aria DNA in it, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And what we what we did with the electronics with my pickups on my signature model is I brought in EMGs, Bartolini's and Alembic pickups to have them scoped. And we took certain tonal qualities of it just to make it like a very well-rounded pickup. And so they carried that technology into the series and I played the series, I believe, in 1990, it was even 97, yeah, 97, at the NAMM show. The, the one that was in the room 
uh, there was this uh, luthier, Mike Powers. Did you remember me, Mike? Okay, so Mike, and I go, Mike, I got to have this bass. This is the greatest bass I've ever played. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, look at it. It's, it's, it's virtually your bass. And I, said, I know, <laughs> but it's better. This is way better than my bass. This is what, you know, this is what what I I dreamed that my bass would, would have been. And this is it right here. So so he gives me that one, the one from, from the NAMM show. So I started playing, playing the series. So that's it's got aria dna all over it and i so when when john taylor started playing it i go i, I go of course he's gonna love that face <laughs> so it's, it's, you know it probably reminds me reminds john of of the dream aria base yeah. i gotta say something about the aria the necks were a little bit too too chunky you know yeah and too thick too thick and, and let's not let's not forget of the weight of the aria either <laughs> and the weight yeah that's true so so you know the i gotta tell you the series and, and i was telling you that i you know i play mostly now my my sixth string not on stage but at home and i gotta tell you i to me it's home it's home when, mm. when i put my hands on a series even even if it's a big six string neck I was like, oh my God, yeah. This, uh, and I and I started thinking, yeah, of course, no wonder you feel so comfortable, you know, because it is, you know, there's DNA, my DNA in it, too, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and also there's John Taylor's DNA in it, just mm-hmm. by association from, from the area in it. You know? Yeah. And if you watch his rig rundown, they ask him what he likes about the Cirrus bass, and he says it. It gives them. It's a, it reminds him of the arias he played. So he, yeah, exactly. like, and like I said, yeah. when I told him the story, my mine was like, you know, ch- bits and pieces. But hopefully, he'll listen to this and hear the real story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I, if if you look at any of my photos with with White Snake early on, you know, that first tour. Yeah, that's all I'm playing. On stage, the the aria bass, yeah, with the uh, with either Bartolini's or Olympics, yeah. Well, Rudy, the name of my podcast is called. It's funny because you said your your thing is breakfast with Rudy. Uh, the name of my podcast is called "Is Breakfast Included?" Ah. And if breakfast was included, Rudy, what would you have? Oh, right now I'm on a I'm on a protein kick, so <laughs> I'll definitely have scrambled eggs. Maybe one slice of toast, no butter, coffee, lots of coffee, <laughs> like lots of coffee. Hopefully, maybe maybe some a cappuccino would be wonderful. Nice and water and a glass of water so I can down my uh, my my vitamins. <laughs> I'm writing all this down, so next time I'm in LA, I'm taking you to breakfast. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, I see you have some shows coming up with the Guess Who, so you guys are ramping, kicking back up, right? Now that, well, it's just basically the shows that we have booked last year; they they were rescheduled for this year. So. Okay. <laughs> and as as of right now, they're all happening, correct? Well, just just like last year, I will know <laughs> until the flight is booked. You won't know until you're doing a sound check, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, where can, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, they can find me at the Costco in, in, uh, in Woodland Hills and the, uh, almond milk section around 
<laughs> around around 10 a.m. because that 10 10 a.m. is the ending of uh, of the senior citizen uh, time. You know, because you know, at my age, I'm allowed to get in there at nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. And and for anybody, and I'm gonna give you some good advice here. If you do that at nine o'clock, make sure you go straight to the vitamin section because five minutes later, it's gonna be a gridlock. <laughs> <laughs> of all the little the little scooters, you know that yeah. the shops of my of certain age have, oh. and uh, yeah, so so just get that done first. Get your vitamins and your minerals, and your supplements done first, and then get the hell out of that section. And then head over to the almond milk. That's right. Get over <laughs> to the almond milk. Yeah. <laughs> well, brother, uh, man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Like I said, I just hit you up out of nowhere and you you said yes, which, you know, really, it it, it made me feel good. You know, it gave me faith. Um, I do want to tell you this, man, as a, as a kid, as a teenager growing, I grew up here in Texas. Uh, being, where, 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 where in Texas? I grew up just south of Dallas, a, a small town called oh, wow. Corsicana, in between Dallas and Houston. Yeah. And being Mexican, you know, and being a, a rock fan, being a music fan, really, um, mm. you know, there weren't, I didn't, I didn't know where I fit in, in anywhere there. Mm. And seeing guys like you and Carlos and Randy Castillo, it, I got to see people that look like me and gave me that kick in the butt, that hope that mm. I could do it too. Maybe one day I could do it. And I didn't quite reach your success, man, but I I managed to stay in the music business all my life. You know, what I do, I've been around the world and I've done it on someone else's dime, you know? So mm-hmm. I just wanted to thank you for, 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 uh, just for being you, man. Like I said, you know, being, being a, a Latino in the South, we didn't have very many, we didn't get to see very many people that look like us achieve success. And you were one of them, so thanks, man. I looked up to you guys as a as a teenager. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank. You. I mean, you know, to me, I I have my own heroes. I mean, Santana. First time I heard him, I say that's it. Yeah, uh, you know, this to me, it was the first band, rock band, that really got it. It uh-huh. got the uh, the blues. It was blue. You know, originally it was the Santana Blues Band. That's what it was called. Yeah. So there was definitely blues in there. And then you got the Afro, and it's like, <laughs> where does where, where does the Afro Cuban come from? Well, it comes from Africa, and it kind of, where, where the blues come from? It comes from Africa. It's it's the yin and yang. Yeah. You go. It's yeah. complete. You got blues and you got Afro, which <laughs> is the same thing. <laughs> but you know, it's like, wow, this is really complete rock and roll band from from my perception of what rock and roll is all about you know yeah well man i don't want to uh keep you i um thank you for doing this and um man good luck with everything i'll be sure to see you guys when you come through yes thanks a lot and, and you know if when you talk to john tell him that i really have been uh, enjoying the videos I don't, I don't know if he's still doing them, but uh, at the beginning of lockdown, he was doing a lot of little videos. Oh, and, yeah, the uh, tutorial but, videos he was doing. Like, yeah, show, I, show, I, I, like talking about the song and then breaking yeah. it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting to hear all the people's perceptions of where, where the music comes from. Yeah, yeah, those are those are fun. I had a little yeah. bit to do with them, but not as much as you, you might think. <laughs> mm. 
I was I did okay. some FaceTime teching for him. <laughs> oh wow, cool, very cool. But uh, okay. well, well, brother, you have a good day. And again, you thank too, you so much for doing this. Okay, God bless you. All right, looking forward you. to seeing you again, Bernie. For sure, thank brother. So bye bye. Okay, bye bye. Right on. That was Rudy Sarzo. Great guy, huh? Like he said, you can catch him in the almond milk section of Costco, but if you're not in the area, make sure you catch him this summer and fall with the Guess Who. That's going to be a good time. Well, all right, guys, I'm done. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you next week.